With more than 60 episodes in the game, KP and PR are still dropping gems. Secrets continues to bring you the hot fire that you have grown to expect. Listeners describe Secrets as the ultimate receipt for motivating the underrepresented employee to be bold in achieving their career aspirations in corporate America. And season four will definitely not disappoint as they deliver secrets on how to advocate for yourself, how to become a better ally, and how to get your market value. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, put in that work to reach the top of corporate America. And this groundbreaking podcast challenges you, as well as corporate America, to be better and do better. KP and PR will bring you more tips and tricks on how to advance in your career. So fill up those cups and welcome to season four. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. Ricky, what's going on today, my brother? Hey, look, everybody. I'm excited, you know, about this episode. And Keith, we've been just cracking episode after episode after episode. And we continue to get some amazing and challenging questions from our listeners about their experiences, their triumphs, and struggles climbing the career ladder. And one in particular recently stuck out to us And we want to talk about it today as we head into Mental Health Awareness Month. So, KP, would you mind reading that email from our listeners today? I sure will. And the letter says, hey, Ricky and Keith, thank you so much for creating secrets. I've learned so much just listening to you guys. It keeps me laughing and motivated to keep on pushing through. But I have to admit, it's hard sometimes. I'm dealing with a lot of external static in my life. I got sick parents that I'm taking care of, dealing with anxiety and the pressure to return to the office after this COVID pandemic. And I'm having some financial stresses as well. It's hard, and I'm struggling to hold it all together. And I know that this isn't totally related to my career specifically, but I could actually use some inspiration from one of your episodes. Man, that's, I'm over here and it's like I'm. it takes me back to when you and I was first working together. And yeah. even before that, when we have like some of these family issues and mm-hmm. stuff going on. And sometimes it's just like and this is what we talked about in season one. when We start talking about external, external static, static, right? right. Because it hits we, us more than anybody else. Absolutely. And first off, the sister that wrote this note to us, I mean, mm-hmm. first off, this is a bit of bravery. Because, again, we talk about we've been in your shoes. Mm -hmm. And what I can say is just stay strong, and we know that this will pass. I know it's Mm cliche-ish, but there's not more on you than you can uh, handle. And the trials and tribulations that this sister describes are so true for many BIPOC colleagues and especially people within our secrets village. Because we get the -hmm. the messages all the time, and we talk about this stuff. Talk about it. Even in our happy hours. You know, we're talking Mm -hmm. about this stuff all the time. So this external static is absolutely real. It is totally real. And I can't imagine, but I still can't imagine how stressful things are for our sister who wrote in. But it did inspire us to do something to help lift her spirits and create an episode around what she's doing and what others may be struggling with. Because a lot of us are going through those same things, but we don't have an outlet to talk about it or scared to talk about it or how to deal with it. And so, again, all the static that you're dealing with can get you stuck and it can suck the life out of you. Yeah. And then it really starts messing with your mind, starts impacting your mental well-being. So today, Secrets family, we're so happy to welcome Lisa Bennett to Secrets today. She's a very good friend of mine. I've known Lisa for almost 20 years, and she's felt like the perfect person to both address this listener's question and to provide some gems for all of our Secrets Village. 
And just so you know, just a small introduction. She's going to talk about herself a little later. But Lisa is a speaker, a serial entrepreneur, a YouTube personality, a coach, a faith leader. And if you ever seen her in church, she can throw down, y'all. She can sing, she can preach, she can do all that. She's an author also. And the big thing to Lisa, she helps everyday people gain the confidence to leverage their skills, turn their ideas into income, and turn their faith into action. And so we're going to talk to her today about her new book, Just Keep On Living, Conversations with Granny. We're going to talk about that. Y'all have to add that to your summer reading list. I'm going to just tell you, that's a good-ass book, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. But Lisa, welcome to Secrets, My Sister. Hey, fellas. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. I'm like, who are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, look, Lisa, uh, welcome again to the show. I mean, we're we're so excited to have this discussion with you today. My hope, okay, is that we are able to help our brave listener who wrote in seeking advice today. When we finish this episode, I would like for our listener to be able to dance at one of our upcoming virtual happy hours like you recently did. I saw you gigging. I saw you gigging. You know, so we're hoping that our listener who wrote in will feel comfortable enough and prideful enough to be able to do that, you know, as well. So welcome to the show, Lisa. For our listeners, in this episode, we will talk with Lisa about her career path and some of the challenges and triumphs she faced while climbing to the top. We'll also discuss coping with external static in her life, as well as the inspirations for her new book. We'll provide some receipts, as we always do, on dealing with personal loss and taking care of your well-being. And we'll close out with secrets from Lisa on how to deal with external static and find your voice. Yes, this is going to be a good one. There's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, so let's get you ready, Lisa. You ready? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So, Lisa, you know, I've known you for a long time. Like I mentioned, we've known each other for going on 20 years now. And we always like to start out our our interviews on secrets with letting our listeners learn a little bit about you, going under the hood a little bit, humanizing you. So, can you just take a moment to introduce yourselves to our listeners, your upbringing, educational background, some of your career journey? And really, one of the things you'd had to decide, too, is how to leave that good job and kind of venture out on your own. So just take us on a little bit of a journey and let us know who we're talking to today. Oh, wow. So let me see. I'll tell you what. The, the, one of the things I'm proudest of, and a lot of folks can't say this, is I come from a multi-generational family. There are, and thus the book about my grandmother. I grew up with my grandmother's, grand, I mean, my great-grandparents and their siblings, and the oldest one was born in 1890-something at the mm. time. And she died. I was in my 30s, 20s. And then my great-grandparents died when I was in my 30s. So that's a big thing for me because we've always had generations upon generations. Being a multi-generational person. Then also military. My father was a military officer. My mother served in the military. So they had some strict. I was kind of against the grain a little bit. But a little kind of strict uh, guidelines about what you should and shouldn't do. I grew up in the Midwest. Started in California again as an Army brat, moved to the Midwest for my formative years, went to Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa for undergrad for a couple of years, messed up my mama's money. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> she's, hey, you know, you, I'm going to help you figure this out. She sent me packing, said, I'm not going to pay this tuition anymore because you're tripping. And I went off to the State University of New York where I completed my bachelor's degree. And then Rochester Institute of Technology, where I completed my master's degree in organizational development and, and human resource development. 
And there really is where I launched my career, if you will. I laugh because you're talking about the career path. When you're in college or you get out of college and you have these grandiose ideas and this glamour about what you're going to do. And then on the journey, you change majors 25 times, you know, (laughs) right? And so career path, I don't know that I made a decision really about my career path until grad school. Prior to that, you kind of just, you're happy to get a job coming out of college, depending on what the economy is looking like. And I remember being an undergrad and, and minimum wage was like 315. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I got out of undergrad, I was just glad to get a job. And luckily for me, I got one. I had some radio and television production skills and I got one. My intention was to, I wanted to further my career there. And so I went to RIT. Oh, and you know, this will talk. I know we're going to talk about faith, but this is, this is how God works. I was at RIT. And I was passing through. Actually, I wasn't RIT. I had just graduated. I got a job in one of the Fox affiliate stations downtown Rochester. And they were having this career fair. And I'm walking through the convention center. And there I see career fair by RIT. And I just stop in. And at that time, because I was newly graduated, I needed a job. Carried my resume all the time. Yeah. (laughs) I stop in and this lady, I'll give her a name because she's wonderful. Wendy Benjamin. She stops me. She said, what are you doing? And we just strike up a conversation and we're talking. And she said, come on into my career fair. And I said, you know, what is this all about? Because I had not been to a career fair. And I gave her my resume. We talked, we talked, we talked. And we talked about some of my aspirations and the fact that I had just started a master control room. She says, well, you know, RIT has some production suites and that kind of thing. What do you think about career-wise, you know, down the road? I said, I probably should go back to school and get more stuff, learn more stuff. Long story short, she took my resume. She loved the conversation, and this is how God intervenes. And she called me two days later and got me a job at RIT. Just so we could continue the conversation. And so I took my what I thought was going to be my production skills from the TV station over to RIT, thinking I was going to get there. And then she had something else in mind for me. And so she put me in a, it was situated in the library. They call it the Wallace Center, but it was more of a training development kind of job. And I didn't know it at the time, but she kind of stuck me in there because it was entry level and she thought I'd be a good fit. Thank God for her intervention, because ultimately I discovered my passion along that journey and found what it is I want to do. So I served at RIT for a total of 23 years and I did project management, training and development. I did some recruiting, operations, process improvement, Lean Six Sigma, you name it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did it. 23 years I served there, and then I jumped ship around 2012 and went into contract consulting world. So I get to RIT, and here's a, you know, another good thing that happened to me. I had some really good mentors along the way at RIT, and I did not realize it at the time. I was getting a promotion like every two years. I was getting the opportunity to do something different every two years. So I was changing jobs very rapidly, but I got to the point where there was nowhere else for me to go. I mean, it's like post-secondary education. The guys at the top be a thousand years old. They just don't retire from post-secondary education, right? So mm-hmm. they stay there for a long time. And I found that at that time, I was one of the, or not actually one of the youngest African-American administrator at RIT, which shocked me because I wasn't really paying attention to that kind of data at the time. So after serving there, 
I was introduced to a gentleman named Chris Sai, who had been, been a Lean Six Sigma black belt. He was brought into the Institute to help us tighten up processes. And he starts talking to me about this body of work called Lean Six Sigma and process improvement. And as we talk, I learned, hey, I've been doing this the whole time, my whole career. He says, you know, you go out and get these certifications and get out of here and go into the consulting world, girl. You can scale and double your money. There you go. So now you're talking my life. So I quickly scaled, went to search. I did my Lean Six Sigma. I got Lean certified and Six Sigma certified and then went to explore the consulting world. And he was absolutely correct. I um, was able to double my salary like immediately upon leaving Institute. I did get some pushback though. I'll tell you what, because that's the, that good job thing. When I we got ready to leave, 9-11 had happened. The stock market had crashed and all this stuff. And people go, wait a minute now, you're making almost close to a six figures. You, you sure you want to leave that good job? You, you got to hold yeah. on to that yeah. good job. Don't mm-hmm. you, don't you? He said, look at this. Are you crazy? The economy's bad. This is happening. You want to do this? But I tell you, I was sitting in my office and being a person of faith, and I wasn't happy at the direction that we were going because we had reorganized a few times. I wasn't happy. And I said, the Bible says that I should have abundant life. I have a right to that. And when you're not happy, that's not living your abundant, full, authentic self. You know when you are miserable. And so I looked at the walls and I said, I quit. I packed up my stuff, went home and said, I quit. And my wife said, wait a minute, hold on. You messing with my budget. What are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I just know it's time to go. I packed up, packed my stuff, came home, quit the job, gave them 30 days notice. I tidied up everything. You know, probably two weeks after that, I had one folder on my desk. And they were kind of mad at me and said, oh, so you're going to sit in here with no pictures on the wall? I turned in keys. I gave up badges, everything. I ain't doing nothing. I ain't starting no new projects. I'm out of here. And they said, well, you know what? You go ahead and go home. We'll just pay you. Go ahead and go home. <laughs> I went on vacation, went to the islands, the Caymans, relaxed for a week, came back, was saying, what am I going to do? Oh, my God, I blew a hole in my, <laughs> yeah. my house. <laughs> What's going to happen here? And again, faith thing. I'm sitting there on the Internet. It's one o'clock in the morning. I've been in the Cayman Islands. I don't care about, I mean, I haven't thought about the job. I haven't thought about what I'm going to do. And I start sending out resumes, posting stuff on, at that time, Monster was a big deal. There was no Indeed just yet. And I'm posting things. And this gentleman calls me early the next morning. And he tells me who he is in the organization he's calling from. He said, you sent us a resume. I said, no, I didn't. I've been on vacation for the last two weeks or so. I haven't sent anything. And then he says, well, I got your resume. And so we're just having this conversation. And I'm having this really relaxed conversation like this is my buddy. Like this guy's not calling me about a job interview, right? And we're connecting. And then finally, a little while, I decide we're talking. He said, well, we were interested in you coming on to do some training for us. And I said, well, you know what? I don't have anything to do because I ain't got no job. So I jump in the shower. I throw on a suit. He says, well, when can you come? I said, well, I ain't got nothing to do. You know, I'll come over now. He says, well, I don't know if they're ready for you just yet. So he hangs up, calls me back. He says, yes, you can come on. So I jump in the suit. I go over. And we're having this conversation with these folks. Long story short, by the time I drove there, had a 30-minute discussion, came back because I was really relaxed. Came back, got to my driveway. The phone rang, and they made me an offer. It was my first contract. Nice. Mm -hmm. And I never looked back. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I went from 
contracting independently to Fortune 100 companies, moonlighting with the big three as a consultant, taking subcontracts, working across industries, oil and gas, banking, healthcare, pharma, you name it. I've done supply chain. I've done it all. And then working my way from there to being onboarded to one of the big three as a consultant, and then moving up into the C-suite as one of those consulting managers. That was a bit of a different journey for me, but you know, that's sort of the, the scope of my career path and how we got here after some things happened, like your, your listener talked about the static. Again, I'm going to introduce Faith here because when I was independent and before I moved into the position with the firm, I was doing my thing. I'll tell you, I was on a project, was a supply chain project, and the phone rang, and this lady out of the blue, she says, hey, are you interested in joining our firm? We're looking for some people to do change management. I was like, no, nah, I'm not interested because I'm making good money now. I didn't double it up on what I was doing before. Someday, some years, I'm tripling up on what I was doing before. I'm good. And I hung up two times. And then finally, she called the third time, and I said, you know, the thing is, I'm an independent consultant. I'm not stationary unless I don't have any work. So I can't tell you. She said, can you come to Chicago? I said, I'm not going to be in Chicago unless I'm unemployed for a couple of days. And that's never the plan, right? But my mom lived in Northwest Indiana. I grew up in the Midwest. And so the client I was with said, hey, you're done here. You want to go ahead and take off a few days. We'll let you go. We're going to pay you because you've done the work. I said, cool. So I picked up the phone. I said, you know, you asked me about being in Chicago. I can come to Chicago. I live, my mother lives right outside of Chicago. I'll come for a couple of days. If we can make it work, I'll sit with you guys. Here's the blessing. When I said yes, I didn't know all of the static that your caller was talking about was coming. And because of my saying yes, God armed me, set me on course to be able to withstand the next three years were the worst three years of my life. Mm, yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Okay, so there is my... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what, Lisa? Like, honestly, I'm sitting here drawing parallels to some of the things you talk about in your career and in Keith's career and just not having the playbook, right? Like sometimes you got to jump out there on faith and shit don't feel too comfortable when you're doing it, right? But you got to get out there and do it. So, but what I'm thinking about is your story that you tell that you've described so far is like extremely rich, right? There's so much to kind of unpack there, but can you talk more about being the only, especially the only black female, you know, in some of these traditionally white male environments that you've worked in. I mean, you talked about the big three and some other things here. Talk more about a difficult moment or two that you faced and how you were able to overcome that. And then was there like a time or various moments when you felt like your faith was being challenged or that you may need to come up with a different plan because what you were doing just may not have been working? So I know that's a lot to unpack there, but Lisa, I got faith in you, sister. I know you can do it. <laughs> I can conquer anything. So the thing about all of it is I've been the only the entire time. Mm-hmm. Whether that was in the hourly job in a post-secondary education arena or at the C-suite being the only and then being the only, and here the, the, the load is so tough. You know, you're the only woman, you're the only black woman, you're the only, in my case, gay woman. You might even be the only Christian woman. It's just so much tied together. And so 
I don't know that there is a time when your faith is not being exercised. You have to be exercising everything to kind of keep your balance because there's so many things out of balance for you. Not only your balance, but your damn sanity. Right, right. right. <laughs> You're using every skill. And that's the thing. I think the higher you climb, the, the better you tread water, if you will. Yeah, I like it. that. Right. You're using every skill you have because you're, you know, they say when you can't hear, your eyes work better. When you can't see, your ears work better. You pick up these things. In our cases, we're using all of it, kind of like maximizing it all the time in all of these arenas, using all of our technicals to feel, to see, to think, to, you know, all the time. So I just don't think whether it's at a, an hourly job or a corporate level job, but that faith walk never is separated. It's impossible to separate it because you got to have something to anchor you in the seat to keep moving one foot in front of the other. Yeah. So when you talk about difficult, I mean, all of this difficult. I have a friend from undergrad. He used to say being African-American is God's last test for you before you can get into heaven. Learning which sense to turn on what I say, tap in, tune in and turn on is the real key to managing all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That's awesome. And I just have to say, you know, just like the email that we got from our listener, you know, I know you've been open about dealing with a lot of personal loss in your family and how that impacted your life in very, very dramatic ways. And you were starting to talk about that. You know, you got to Chicago mm-hmm. and your life changed. And so can you just talk a little bit about that and and how what the follow on impacts of that was? Yeah, you know, so again, you know, that was that faith thing. I was so glad that they, they called me because I didn't know. And I was really reluctant to go. So here's the other thing I'll say. When you know that God is knowing that, you know, he keeps putting something in front of you. Sometimes it's a tap on the shoulder, but sometimes it's a drag us by the neck down the street and crash our car before we pay attention. Don't know when you got to crash. You know when the light, the, you, we got these new, new fancy cars, the, the light come on the dashboard, tell you which tire is a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Feel, put the air in the tire. Stop paying attention to that. Because if you don't, you will have two flat tires, the repercussions from not paying attention. So luckily, I paid attention enough that third time to say, let me go ahead and do this. Because here's what happens. I get here and my mother is ill and she hadn't said anything. Mm. I mean, I knew she had some stuff, but I didn't know how serious it was. And the crazy part about that, Lisa, and I know some of our listeners are, are hearing this too, because I just recently had a, uh, like my father passed away last year, like sometime as children, because we're always their kids, their babies. They try to tell you stuff without telling you, but because they don't want you to worry because they know we already have enough static, you know, to deal with. But it's never until you get there and you hear what the doctor say. I put eyes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once you look on. at them, that's because you know you ask your parents, "Hey, how you doing?" They said, "I'm doing all right. I just need to cut down on the salt. I just need to do this." And then you go and you be like, "Wait a minute, that ain't what he said." You know what I'm saying? He said that this is gonna happen, and you need to do these things. So when you got to Chicago, as you were saying, it was like you knew moms needed you, but when you got there, you actually realized how much she needed you. Yeah. And then here's to cover that up. My mother was a healthcare professional. <sighs> so the doctors couldn't tell me anything because guess who, re- who the doctors reported to? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so she was the boss. I found out a whole lot after she was gone. And they said, well, I'm sorry. We wanted to tell you because we've known you all your life, but she killed us. First of all, we got hip initiated fire. 
(laughs) So, So she didn't tell us. But, you know, I got here. And so I moved from Rochester here. We have this now in my mind, we have this plan that the family's going to go further west because my wife has some health concerns. She needs to be in a warmer climate. I know my mother and grandmother are getting older. Her mother's getting older. We've we've had to say and we think we're working in this plan to move to the Midwest temporarily, pack them up and keep going west. But when we get here <laughs> now, mind you, I've moved my children, so we had to buy a house. I moved my kids. I am starting a new job. I found out my mother's sick. I found out her younger sister, my aunt, is sick. And they kind of raised me because my dad, although he was in the military, I didn't meet my dad till later. But I'll tell you how that impacted me in terms of his raising me. But my aunt, who had really been my surrogate second parent, she's sick. My mom's sick. My grandmother's sick. And I'm going, hold on. This is not the picture you all painted for me. And I get here. I start in March of 2015. My aunt dies. I'm not expecting that. I'm expecting to pack people and move. My aunt dies. Now, again, I I told you, people live in my family 100 years old, 96, 97, 100, easy. We do that easily. So my aunt dies, and she's in her 70s, and I'm going, wait a minute. Hold on. What's going on? My mother looks at me Christmas morning and says, people describe them as, they call them Irish twins, when they're so close it seems like they feel, have the same feelings or whatever. And they, they used to be ill if they were separated for long periods of time, even when we were growing up. And so my mom looks at me on Christmas morning after my aunt passes. And she says, I can't do this without my sister. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, hold on. She said, no. And, and I do notice that there's a change in her habits because they are the kind of people, they get on the phone at 7 o'clock. Primetime starts from 7 to 10 in the Midwest. And so the first show comes on and they're on the phone talking while they're watching the show, then the second show comes on. And it's usually medical stuff because they were both in the medical field. So they and they ripping the shows apart. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I said, what a band-aid. Girl, they coded a long time ago. And I was like, stop taking the fun out of us who don't know this stuff, right? <laughs> and she says, I don't want to do this without my sister. I love y'all, but I don't I don't want to do this. And 10 days later, she was gone. And I was just like, hold on. Mm. I, hold on. This is not. No, wait, I got kids. I just moved here trying to get acclimated to school. I got two getting ready to go off to college. I got an aunt who just passed. I got a mama who tells me Christmas, she don't want to be here. She gone. And now I've got grandparents who are all over 90 who need care. And you done told this job that you about to come up in there and get this work done. You know, and you and you made that decision with a different mindset. You, You made that with a different mindset. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. So I've got all of this stuff going on. Now, we done bought a house, moved into the house, but my mother dies a few months after that. So my grandmother, who my mother lives with, she can't live by herself. She's 94 years old. Somebody got, I got to move in. What I mean, just whoo. All the things. I, all the things. And my daughter goes off to college. They have this on-campus brawl. Some she got caught in the middle of it and got stabbed. She didn't have anything to do with it. So I've got that going on in the background. I got a, a son at North Carolina. They're raiding the dorms because people are smoking marijuana. He was like, I don't even smoke. I ain't got nothing to do with this. I don't want to come back. I got static, man. I'm dealing with all of that. And you're right. Trying to now. So here's the thing about going internal as a, a consultant and external as a consultant independent. When you're independent, 
you are deciding what you're going to take, when you're going to take it, how you're going to take it. You structure the whole deal. When you're internal, when you are the firm, you know, it's about billables, right? And so that only so many times when you can say, I'm not going to take this client on because at the end of the year, if your billables aren't up, you're not even going to be there. So mm-hmm. I can't keep turning stuff down. So now i got to figure out how to fit into the culture of this firm that I just signed in, being the only African-American female in my practice, my entire practice. There's 5,000 of us in Chicago office, and I'm the only client-facing female African-American <laughs> in my entire practice. So i got to carry whew, all that. <laughs> All of that. And then part of the responsibility, too, is recruiting. And so I'm visiting universities to try to get more folks who look like me to join the firm, let alone the practice. So, man, static is not the word. I can't even begin to tell you. That's like cutting it thick with a knife and probably needing a shovel to get through the Mm -hmm. (laughs) layer. I just want to, first off, thank you for being like so vulnerable and sharing like your story, right? Because Again, we know that hypertension, stress, like some of these things like kill people of color, right? And there's some within even that construct that have to deal with more than others, right? So, and I know that one of the things that I openly talk about on our our show is like when I actually went out to get me some help, that actually Mm -hmm. changed my life, right? Because, you know, it's, you feel like you got all of these things happening. Those no real time for you to kind of come back and either grieve or either process. There's really not a lot of time, you know, to do that. So I know like what you just shared will absolutely help like everybody within our secrets village, but I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about your book. Okay. (laughs) Just keep living conversations with granny. Right. And I'm laughing because it ain't a lot of folks that will admit that they call their grandmother granny, but I got a granny. I call, hey, that, hey, that granny, that's my girl right there. So it's so funny, like, because I, I would call my grandmother granny and my great-grandmother grandmother. So I can remember my wife was like, why do you keep calling her granny? That's technically your great-grandmother. I said, we don't need to get specific about shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay. she, hey, when I say granny, only one person is going to turn around. They know who I'm talking to. You know what I'm saying? So, But again, that title in and of itself reflects so much of what you've been talking about like so far. Can you tell us the inspiration and the story just behind even the book? You know, so and it, it fit perfectly for where we were because the title of the book, Just Keep Living, Conversations with Granny. When I was younger, my grandmother, I would watch her do things and make decisions. And I would say to her, well, Granny, why do you do this? And Granny, why do you do that? And she said to me one day, and she said, Lisa, I'm 50 years old and you're five. She said, now I could tell you why I can try to explain to you why I made that decision. She said, but you're five. You just don't have enough reference points to understand why I made this decision or how I see things. She said, but I tell you what, you just keep on living. You just live long enough and you're going to figure all this out for yourself. <laughs> so it seems fitting <laughs> that it will be just keep living. Because the other piece of that is that book was written out of grief. All of that static we just talked about is what led to writing the book. Mm-hmm. Because what you mentioned, Ricky, the psychological warfare 
in spiritual warfare too. Don't get it twisted now, because mm-hmm. it's again, it's testing every fiber of your being. The warfare that you're going through on the job to try to perform. And here's the thing: I got a promotion in the middle of all that. Lord only knows that was faithless. I don't have a clue about how I pulled off the work, but and I was glad to get my bonus though that year. So <laughs> you have all of this warfare going on, and. I'm trying to figure out how to navigate all of this stuff and I'm not taking care of me because mm-hmm. immediately from trying to deal with my aunt passing, my mother passing. And so here's what happened. My aunt passes, my, my mother passes, and then a set of my grandparents pass. Mm. Mm. And I go, hell, it's only been two years. What else you want from me? <laughs> okay. So, and I have to move in with my granny and my granny, can see that all of this is mounting on me. And so every day she's doing all she can to entertain me. And she's, so we're having these conversations and she's making fun of stuff and she's talking about the news and I come in the house and she's telling me everything that happened in the news and she's telling me that, and she's really intentionally checking to see if I'm okay, Mm -hmm. am I with it? So she, she, I'm not, I'm not with it. So we're having these conversations and what happens is Eventually, my granny does pass in May of 2019. And now I am deep, deep, deep in depression because all of this stuff. And I still haven't gotten a handle on this stuff. And I'm slipping and sliding and slipping and sliding. And and then my wife says, you got to get some counseling because you about on the edge. I mean, I, there wasn't anything I could say to the job that was they don't understand. Yeah, they just don't. Yeah. I mean, and this may be a cultural thing. They're getting at least from my observation. So I can only say this because I've only been African-American. That's not to say everybody else ain't doing it right, but I can only tell you what I've seen in my culture. Yeah. We keep our folks at home. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, so, and so my talking to my counterparts who are not from my culture and saying, I've got four 90-year-olds at home to take care of. They're like, put them in a home. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. no. <laughs> So my granny's passed and I'm dying. I mean, I'm dying. And I remember we were sitting at a restaurant New Year's Eve and I just slumped over the table. And I said, I can't keep my head up. And Rashida says, you need to go to the doctor. I said, nope, take me home, go to bed. And I, uh, whew, I'm trying not to cry. I, um, I said, nope, I want to go home, go to bed. I get in the bed. She and my cousin get me home and get in the bed. I wake up the next morning and I can't see. Mm. I can see the outline, but I can't see clear. And I said, call the eye doctor. She was like, you can't see it. Call the damn eye doctor. We going to the hospital. I said, no, no, it's just my eyes. Call the eye doctor. Now, I know I feel horrible, but I'm going to be honest. I was in such a deep depression in care. I wanted the pain of what was going on to stop. I wanted the load to lighten. And the only, I mean, it, it, I didn't care. I just wanted, I had slipped into all kinds of suicidal thinking. And eating crab legs and things that I'm allergic to shellfish. I ate two pounds of crab legs and waited. I mean, you just, I'm slipping and sliding. And so they get me to the hospital and I'm washing. I'm laying on a gurney. Now I know this much. I'm laying on a gurney and I can see my spouse sitting across the room. And I can see her, but I'm having a conversation in my head with myself. And I'm going, hmm, somebody in trouble. Because all these people running through this emergency room and they're talking about this is shutting down and that is shutting down and this is happening. And I'm looking at my wife and I said, why is she crying like that? What's going on? 
it was like watching a cartoon or a movie where all of a sudden the person comes out of a trance and jumps back in their own body and it takes focus. Somebody stuck me in the arm with a needle and I realized it was me that was dying. Mm. That's why she was crying. I was so far gone. They were afraid that my heart was going to stop. My cal- I had no vitamins. My calcium was gone. Every vitamin you're supposed to have to maintain an upright position was over. It was gone. And so they got me hooked up to all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'm about to die. And so I had to make a decision right there. And I was like, well, I, I don't really want to die. I just need some relief. So I get back to health. I'm in the hospital for two weeks. I'm hooked up to 14 bags, 24 hours a day. I gained all kinds of weight. Now I'm mad because I don't know if Keith remembers, I was 300 some pounds some years ago. And then my wife says to me, listen, you got to get some counseling. So we get some counseling and the counselor's talking to me. And then I get the counseling and I'm journaling now. And I was looking at my timeline after I had been journaling. She sent me away to Atlanta for a little while. So it was warmer than being in Chicago, Northwest Indiana, where it's cold. And I was journaling and looking at my timeline. And my grandmother and I would sometimes, I, because she would say stuff that was funny, I would post it on Facebook. And something came up that she said. And I started laughing. And I was like, okay. And then something else came up that she said, and I started laughing. I was like, okay. And then I posted one of those things again. And, you know, 800 people commented. I was like, whoa. (laughs) We miss your grandmother. Oh, my God. I wish you had kept all the stuff she said. And little did they know, I had kept a lot of what she said. Hmm. And so now I'm talking to my therapist. And my therapist said, what does it make you happy? I said, yeah, my grandmother makes me laugh. So now I'm starting to go through all of my notebooks and go through all of my timelines and go through all these scraps of paper and things and pull out this stuff. And so the grief, my grandmother helped raise me out of the grief through the words that she left and the conversations that she had with me. Mm -hmm. So there came the book. It came out of grief because once I started to post little snippets online, because I laughed about it that day, what I found out was that there were other people who had been waiting as well and who had missed. They had the same void. They never even knew her sometimes, but they had the void. And I remember one afternoon, I had a friend of mine. She called. She's a pharmaceutical sales rep. She must have been having a really rough day. She said, hey, is your grandmother around? And I said, it was an unusual request. I said, yeah, she here. Why? She said, put her on the phone for me. <laughs> and I said, one of my friends want to talk to you. My grandma, I walked out, they laughed. She said, hey, the phone back for you. I said, what? She said, I feel so much better now. I just needed somebody to lift me. And then I realized she left this gym Mm -hmm, for me. mm -hmm. She, again, divine intervention, wisdom, faith, writing those things down. I didn't know I was going to have to go back two, three years later. And that would be the very thing that saved my life, that made me laugh again, to make me live again, make me reconnect. And not only for me, it was helping other people. So just keep living conversations with granny after a few more pushes and prods by people uh, it became a book. <laughs> yeah. And it's really amazing. And I, and I have to say, you know, it was an honor when you asked me to write you know, a review for the back cover. I mean, it just felt like, I mean, that connectivity. And I just remember reading the transcript, the manuscript, you know, before it was published, I read that book roaring with laughter crying big tears, <laughs> you know, and, you know, just going back to like stories with my grandmother 
and just remembering all the special moments that we had together because there is something about a grandmother that's just different. That's just different than anything else that you're experiencing in your life. So, I mean, the book really touched my heart. And I was just wondering, I don't want you to give away all the tea, but maybe just share one story that sticks with you, one or two stories that kind of stick with you, just to give people a flavor of what the book is about. You know, so my grandmother was born in 1924, Jim Crow South, and she has very, at least she thought she did, very clear visions of what marriage and things ought to look like. She's always trying to be an advocate for the LGBTQ community, but she does it in such a comical way, at least to me. And sometimes I think, as I tell her, she blows things out of proportion. And so she says to me one day, she's sitting in the kitchen, and she says, Lisa, I don't understand. How do you fix your mouth to kiss another woman? I just, now mind you, fix your mouth means how do you mentally process the idea? I mean, you're a woman. How do you mentally process taking your mouth and putting it on another woman in the way that you would kiss a man? How do you do that? And I said, stop, stop it. You're being silly. You're overthinking it. I, it's not that she's a woman. It's, it's that I'm kissing a person. I just, <clears throat> I just don't understand how you fix your mouth to do that. I said, well, I'm not going to be bothered with you. I'm not answering that question. And so in our family, we do. We kiss on lips. And so she forgot about the conversation. I'm getting ready to walk out the door and go do some chores. And I run down the stairs. And just as I get there, I realize, oh, she asked me this question. I forgot to tell her I'm leaving. So I run back up the stairs. Naturally, I bend over and I kiss her. I said, hey, I'll catch you later. She said, okay, baby, be careful. And I run down the stairs and I go, that's it. I said, by the way, that's the answer to your question. She says, well, what do you mean? I said, you wanted to know how I fix my mouth to kiss another woman. I just kissed you. She said, no, no, uh-uh, that's cheating. That's not right. There's <laughs> <laughs> that one. And, and then the other one that's so funny, she has this thing and she, she talks to me as if TV characters are like her buddies or she knows them or, and I'm supposed to keep up. And so I'm in the kitchen and she's in her room and she's screaming, hurry, Lisa, hurry up, come in, come in, come in, come in, come in, come in, come in. I run in there because I'm thinking something's wrong. And I said, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? She says, look, who without that shirt? I bet you Rashida don't look like that without her shirt on. I was just like, <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> so she's, you know, LL Cool yeah. J doesn't have a shirt on. She's excited about it. And she know she's trying to figure out why are you so concerned about her when you can look at LL? I was like, oh, lady, if you don't stop testing me. I mean, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many more gems in that book. I tell you, it's an easy read. It is so funny. It is so funny. And I, I loved it. So y'all go out and get that book. Yeah. yeah. And this has been like just a tremendous story, you know, here. And we can go on and talking to you. I, I think when we were doing our pre-call before the episode, I think we talked for about an hour and a half, you know? So, yeah. so but like, I think this is the part where I want to kind of maybe humanize what we're talking about here and try to hit some of our listeners with some of these receipts. Okay. Because again, we know sometimes in your inner thoughts, you have you, you think you're crazy, but we want to tell you that you're not crazy, right? So in today's yes. receipts, we're going to share receipts on dealing with personal loss 
And then we'll share some receipts on the importance of taking care of your health, especially for black people. So, Keith, why don't you just hit us with receipt number one? Yeah, receipt number one, a study by AmeriSpeak and WebMD found that 57 percent of Americans are grieving the loss of someone close to them over the past last three years. That means every other person that you interact with is grieving in some shape or form. And in all, 32% experienced the loss of a family member, a close friend in the last three years, 20% experienced the death of a pet, 3% experienced the loss of a spouse or a partner, and 2% experienced the loss of a child. So, and within that, 45% of the deaths were anticipated. They were, you know, you knew it was coming, so you could kind of deal with it and process a little bit better. You know, and like Lisa's situation, 45% were not anticipated. Right. It just kind of happened and you had to deal with it. And another eight percent were anticipated as a result of a violent circumstance. Something happened that was violent. And that's just grounding for all of us that to know that a lot of people that we are interacting with are dealing with some sort of loss and have a little grace. Yeah. Have some (laughs) grace. Be compassionate. Right. Stop asking for shit when you know something's going on sometimes. You know, be easy. Be easy with how you do some of those things. So I really appreciate that Mm -hmm. receipt, Keith, because, hell, you and I both included, you know, in there some Mm -hmm. kind of way, right? Receipt number two. And the study that Keith just spoke about also showed that the loss that happens takes physical and mental tolls, you know, on individuals. Physically, 39% experience fatigue. 32% see a change of appetite, 25% experience headaches, 20% feel aches and pains. Mentally, 83% of people experience sadness, the same sadness that Lisa was speaking about. Mm -hmm. 42% experience depression. 31% had an inability to sleep or some type of sleep disturbances that occur. And 29% disclose some form of anger. So anxiety, PTSD, and again, suicidal thoughts were also prevalent, you know, within this group, within this study. So again, mm-hmm. you're not crazy. Like people go through this, mm-hmm. but we're talking about the very, very need for help, for assistance, to know that you're not out there by yourself. Absolutely. And especially for BIPOC people, you combine this grief that people are potentially dealing with on top of also being the only, having structural things held against you, that's a heavy load to carry. And a a little (laughs) bit more on those shoulders, we're talking about the microaggressions and in some environments, macroaggressions. Macro assaults. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And receipt number three, you know, Lisa, you talked a bit about your physical and mental health. And according to JMMA, Self-care helps people preserve their wellness and prevents disease at the end of the day. In fact, exercising just two to eight hours per week will lower your risk of death by 35%. Damn, 35. 35. And for Black women, you all are the most undertreated group of anyone in America. And that strong held pressure to having to be a strong Black woman takes a huge toll on your well-being. Go ahead, Lisa. You got it. You saw you want to say? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And here's the other thing. I think being I'm a change manager, one of the things that closely associate with grief, change. 
just because somebody didn't die, there's a when you change, there is a dying of something. It may not be a person, but it could be a situation or a process. But just moving from one current state to a new state, depending on how traumatic the person receives that or takes that in, that can be a form of grief. And so sometimes it's just looking at a house and moving, pack up a house and move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. It brings on a level of stress. So I, what I'm, and the reason I bring that up is because I don't want people to think that just because it's of the dying thing, there are everyday things that you need to pay attention to that we perceive as being good things, but they still can be just as stressful. So they are adding to what we're dealing with on top of the obvious death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's so true. And mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about the death of a routine, the death of something like, again, we're talking about, hell, I used to talk to my dad. Every single Saturday morning when I'm running to go get my errands in and don't let Don Lemon say something good on CNN during the week, because it doesn't matter if I'm in a business meeting or not. He's going to tell me about that. You know, but those are some of the things that we say are just as stressful, you know, to Mm -hmm. you as some of the other things. So the last receipt I want to hit, you know, everyone with is receipt number four here is according to the CDC, only 33 percent of black Americans with any mental illness sought help from mental health services in 2019, okay? Please digest that. While 50% of white Americans did seek help. So there is an imbalance there. Mental illness related stigmas, you know, are out there. Lack of trust in the healthcare system, lack of ethnic and racial diversity among service providers and lack of insurance or under insurance are just a few factors that contribute to these disparities. So again, look, we've hit you with some great stories from Lisa, some stuff that Keith and I interjected in there, but we also hit everyone with the receipts. So Mm -hmm. this is not uncommon, but again, given that we're in this mental health awareness month, we want to make it normal Mm -hmm. to be able to have these discussions. So as a special treat, For our listeners today, we want to kind of navigate into these secrets. So we're going to let or humbly ask Lisa, I should say, to be able to provide our secrets for you today. So, Lisa, if you could, could you address the question, you know, by our listener that provided some hope and aspiration? Like she was looking for some hope and aspiration. We're hoping you can do that for her. So we're going to have Lisa do that. And then we're going to share a few additional secrets on how to find your voice and venture out on your own. Yeah, so Lisa, let's start with that dilemma going all the way back to the beginning of the episode where that listener was just sharing all the external static that she's dealing with and just having hard days. What advice do you have for our listener who emailed us and other listeners that are out there that are like her that may be dealing with similar things? You know, What are your secrets to kind of push through to keep on living during those hard times? If you guys don't mind, I want to, yeah. you talked about receipt number, or Ricky mentioned receipt number four. Yeah. That is so true. And if, if you don't hear anything else today, hear my testimony about that is so true. I knew that I needed help. Mm-hmm. I didn't trust the organization I was with. They already weren't supporting me by being the only in the room. And now I'm going to have them try to support me in this very private, personal space of my life. Didn't trust that. And even when they asked, it was, I felt held out. Well, if I tell you I need this, then you're at, here, you want me to be even more vulnerable and tell you what I need. And then you want to tell me how I need to resolve it by putting my people in a place that's foreign to me. So you're not 
helping me. Yeah. You know, yeah. so this this is why it's a circle that's repetitive because you got, do you not trust and then you're not asked, or do you not ask because you don't trust? Which one comes first, the chicken or the egg? And so the cycle keeps going and going. It wasn't as, as if I was unaware, but where do I go with that? And so that's where I will say this, faith is the first place I'm going to tell you to go. You know, you were asking what those steps would be. You need to find faith, figure out what doctrine, and I'm not telling you what doctrine, but you need some kind of construct to help you guide boundaries so that you can work within. So faith in a doctrine and then faith in yourself, because what you believe in, the doctrine, the construct that you want to run your life by, what the parameters are, that's one thing, but what you believe about yourself within that doctrine is a whole nother story. So you need to look at both of them, mm. right? So you want to look at your faith. The second thing I think you want to look at is your community because you need to be aligning yourself with people who support both the doctrine, the parameters you've set for yourself, and the belief about yourself. If the people are not reaffirming who you are and giving you the space to be who you are, then... Those are the wrong people from you. When they make you feel small, when you feel big, you're in the wrong space. People ask me sometimes, they say, how did you know Rashida was the right person to marry? I knew it when I met this woman who said, if I wanted to wear a dress, I'm, I'm, I'm a jock to some degree. But if I want to wear a dress, she's OK with it. If I want to be a preacher, she's OK with it. If I want to be a singer, she's OK with it. If I want to be a podcaster, she's OK with it. If I want to be a consultant, she's OK with it. Whomever I want to be, she's OK with She's supporting. That's the kind of community I want. That's the kind of community you got to look for. You build people around who affirm who you want to be. Not who they want you to be or who try to modify you. So faith and community. When you get the faith right and you get the community right, the last part is easy. Self-care. It's the hardest, but it's the easiest. It's the hardest because we don't have the first two pieces right. When you get the first two pieces right, self-care is a slam dunk because here's what happens. A lot of times we don't do for ourselves and do what we need to do because we got folks in our ear saying, that's so selfish. Mm-hmm. You doing that, they act as if you're making decisions to hurt them as opposed to affirm you. Yeah, And we fall trapped to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you align yourself with the people who, who support you and who are the same faith as you and who have the same view of you that you have of you, then when you say, I'm going to get my feet pampered, oh, I'm just kicking a timeout, oh, I need some downtime. They say, cool, Keith, how do I help you with that? Go <laughs> ahead, take some time for yourself, brother. Do what you need to do, Ricky. Those other people, why you need to do that? See, that's somebody don't want you to put you first. Mm-hmm. You got to cut that off. So faith, community, self-care, and they become real easy because you can stop asking for permission to take care of yourself. When you're among people who do that, they encourage you. You feel like the I met out. Where y'all going? We're going to the spot. Oh, I need to be going too. And so they'll carry you along the way. Get yourself evenly yoked, as the Bible would say, or aligned. And then that makes everything else pretty easy man man i'm telling you boy i'm over here cheesing because i'm like shit i need to do that like i need that it's a a few folks that should not be in this circle is what i'm saying right now after listening to you but look lisa sister i gotta tell you you just came with some heat okay some super super heat for our listeners with in terms of turning static into celebration. And we appreciate you for that. I absolutely see another book 
you know, in your future here. <laughs> Are there any additional secrets or anything that you would like to provide to our listeners about what they can do to just keep living and bet on themselves? Like, I mean, you, I know I'm asking for, for a lot because you, know, you already gave us three hot fire uh, secrets here. But anything else that you'd like to provide to our secrets village and our community of practice? Yeah, actually, there there's a little saying that I have. Tune in, tap in, turn on. So I don't know if you guys play basketball in the hood. When we play basketball, you know, you have your teammates, but y'all might be playing two on two or maybe three on three, but you might have another man out on the side. But when that man wanted to get in the game, you would tap in, right? So here's what would happen. Imagine this. You got three on three, but it's four people on each team. And so the people who are outside kind of watching, we call it sitting on the bench. They're sitting on the bench. They're watching. They are tuning in. They're watching the rhythm of the game. Right? They're getting the flow of it. They're studying as, as the thing is progressing. So they know what's happening. So they're tuning in, right? And then what happens is you call a timeout or you run over to the bench when you're tired and you tap their hand. And they can come in the game. So they tuned in because they was watching that. It's their time to get in the game and to play their position. And they should be in the flow. And then the last part of it is to turn on. This is you in the game now. You done watched, you know the flow, you done tapped in, you playing the point guard now, turn it up, let's go. Turn it on, let's do it. You're supposed to execute and use all your skills and gifts once it's your time to play. And you don't let anybody hold you back. Let me tell you something. Every time they pull Kobe or Mike Jordan off that bench, they taking over the game. They've been <laughs> sitting over there, waiting, tuning in, watching the flow. Michael Jordan used to get up and run up to Phil Jackson and say, put me in right now. Because he's like, I've been studying. I see what they're doing. They're doubling this. Put me in right now. He was tuned in. As soon as they called a timeout, tapped him in. He came on in, and he turned it up. He went straight for the hall every time. Or he gives the step, and he's going to shoot three pointers. They leave the corner up and all day. That's what it is. So you want to tune in, tap in, turn on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Boom, drop the mic. Yeah, yeah, ain't nothing else to say. Ain't nothing else to say. Lisa, that was amazing advice. We know everybody in our secrets community is going to benefit from that. And again, not many of us are taught how to deal with grief mm -hmm. and take it to the next level and make something out of it, right? Turn that grief into something wonderful. And you're a great example of how to do that. And we really appreciate you for doing that. Because again, you tuned into that grief, right? <laughs> Tapped into it and put that book out and turned it on, mm -hmm. right? And we really appreciate you being with us today. And again, you all can find Lisa's book, Just Keep Living, A Conversation with Granny on Amazon or on her website at www.justkeeplivingthebook.com. So go check it out. Please buy the book. It will be worth every penny you spend. And we'll include information on how to connect with Lisa because she, she does coaching. She also does speaking engagement. So mm -hmm. y'all need to bring her. You can see she can bring the heat. She can bring <laughs> it all together for you. And so, Lisa, again, thanks for being on the podcast. We love having you with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Look for the joyful kernels. No matter how bad the situation is, how much grief, how much despair do you feel, find something that makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. If it's a song, put it on. We play It's My Time by Kelly Price in my house every morning. Mm -hmm. And then we play a couple of things by Jay Moss in the morning. Those are the things we get up to. Because when you get your mindset right and you focus in on that good energy, 
going into the day, then you keep the momentum of that good energy and you just decide for yourself who you're going to be and what you believe for the day and push on through. There we go. Hey, one more secret. That was like a bonus secret. (laughs) We see you. We see you. And you can find more resources on the secrets and receipts that we shared today by going to our website, secrets.com, looking in those show notes that Danelle prepares for us every week. There's lots of stuff in there for you. Better check it out. Yeah, no. And also, Lisa, look, I want to also just thank you for being on Secrets today. We really, really appreciate you being part of the support team, you know, that we have. And we want to be able to to reciprocate that and support you and your efforts, getting your book out to everybody. everybody. You know what I'm saying? We want to make sure that they get that. I also want to give a sincere shout out to all of our listeners and fans out there because you all continue to stand up for us and support us with open arms. And we know like, again, I know it sounds like cliche-ish, but we wouldn't be able to do this without you. I mean, I think you all, as the listener did today, sent in a note to us and we tried to create some material and content around that. So that's important to us. But lastly, we want to be sure that you all continue to write in on Apple and do some of those reviews, you know, Mm -hmm. of course, because it's so, so important. And buy some of that merchandise. Like you won't catch us now without sporting some merchandise because that's just what we do, you know. But again, some of the merchandise are ideas that we get from you all. So we want to make sure that we continue to do that. In fact, take a picture with you in that gear and post it in our LinkedIn community or post it, you know, Instagram. Instagram. Like we can do that. Post it on Facebook. We just want to make sure that we get it out there for everybody. Mm -hmm. Y'all know Ricky and I like to have a lot of fun on this podcast, but at the end of the day, we're all about serious business. We are trying to help you get that paper, get that coin, create generational wealth, you know, so that we can keep on moving. And because of that, you know, so far we're bucking up against $3 million now in terms of giving people total comp increases and we're going to keep on moving it because we're trying to get to 50. (laughs) We're trying to get to 50. We're trying to get to 50. So uh, again, check us out for coaching services. You know, we're happy to come to your organization and speak, do training, whatever we need to do to move the needle and break down all this structural shit that's holding us back. Yeah, like Bone Thug said, (laughs) get that money, man. Trying to help you get that money, man. Okay, so but look, you guys, we want to thank our sister Lisa Bennett again for being so, so vulnerable today and sharing her story with us on, on how she found the strength to find her voice and share it as a thought leader, which is so important. But we are about to fill up these empty cups. I think she was talking about tap in. I'm yeah. going to have to go ahead and Let's tap, tap in. in and uh, <laughs> to get that this. next bottle yeah, yeah, of vodka that you get didn't get drink up in my house. <laughs> right. Yeah, I did try to put away his stuff, y'all. But again, we need to fill up these cups with more spirits, right? So until the next time, everyone, thank you so much for listening to The Secrets. And remember, when we share, you transform. Peace, everybody. Out. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed yet another gem from KP and PR. In fact, one listener said that Secrets continues to share the inside story on how to truly accomplish your corporate ambitions, and we hope you agree. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, donate via Patreon, and sign up for our executive coaching services. Check us out at www.c-crets.com to get more information about our secret services. Remember, when they share, you transform. Until next time, cheers!